Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futuro Health, where future-focused education, healthcare, and workforce leaders explore new education-to-work approaches and innovations. I'm your host, Von Tone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health. There's an old saying that extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures, but times like these also call for extraordinary people to lead the charge in developing innovative solutions and in the area of workforce transformation, my guest today is one of those people. Eva Sage-Gavin has had a storied career as a senior executive at some of the most respected Fortune 500 companies, including The Gap, Pepsi, and Disney. She also served as the first woman on public technology company boards and is recognized as one of the most influential leaders in corporate governance and in harnessing digital technologies in HR. She's currently Senior Managing Director of Accenture's Global Talent and Organization Human Potential Practice and an Executive in Residence at Cornell University's School of Industrial and Labor Relations. We actually met at the White House a decade ago as corporate leaders who joined to launch President Obama's Skill for America initiative. I'm really looking forward to getting her insights on how we can work together and rise to the challenges we face, or as she describes it, Hacking Today's Unsolvable Problems. Thank you so much for being with us today, Eva. Vaughn, it's such a pleasure. I can't believe it was 10 years ago in October we were together, and here we are now. It's a delight. So I thought we could start with getting your sense of the challenge we're facing at this moment with multiple major crises unfolding across the globe. Does this compare to anything else business leaders have confronted before? You know, Vaughn, I talk to CEOs and C-suite execs, and they often talk about the fact that we're facing multiple uh, societal challenges and multiple pandemics. So zooming out for a second, we all know the biological one, and we know the last time we faced this was 1918. So certainly there aren't leaders alive today that learn those lessons, but we're certainly looking back to see what we can um, learn from each other. The second is the economic impact. If you think about 3.5 billion people of working age in the working world, and that the economic impact can be as great as 1.6 billion people being underemployed and some of the most vulnerable losing employment. That's a massive um, economic pandemic. The third, we talk about unrest and polarization, and that can be geopolitical, that can be financial or economic. So a lot of today's leaders are saying, I can't think one-dimensionally just about the biological or the economic or the polarization. I have to think holistically and strategically. And although many of us you know, have trained for years in scenarios, um, this is in some ways multiple black swan events all at the same time. And it's challenging all of us to think in brand new ways. So what do they say to you in private? You know, a lot of the things that people have learned in management sciences, and, and we mentioned our love for education, are being uh, challenged. So this whole idea of um, the whole human and the fact that we're seeing the impact on families and communities. Um, so in private, I hear things like, I'm really worried about a she session. I'm losing dual career families, and often the woman is the individual who's taking the lead parent role. If they have a two-career family all in one home with three little ones to school on, someone is having to take the lead role. 
The other thing I'm hearing is anyone who might have special care needs could be academic or education special needs, could be an extended family member who might need some special care. Many of those community and society supports are not as available because many care providers are impacted. This is a topic you know more about than anyone. And the third aspect they say to me in private is the mental health and wellness challenges that people are struggling as this continues, and some would say in a second surge, and that their capacity to go into, in many parts of the world, a dark, difficult winter with additional sheltering um, is really straining our social systems, our community systems, but most of all, our health systems. What is so interesting about your comments is that uh, instead of talking about profit and global competitiveness and sort of the normal issues that would come out of the, the mouths of CEOs, that they're actually talking about our social fabric, our social infrastructure, and whether or not the social infrastructure is there for people to bring their talents to work. This is fascinating. You're absolutely right. And we um, we recently did some research on that and uh, learned some brand new insights from execs and from workers. Tell us more about that. Uh, Accenture recently issued the report, Care to Do Better, thanks to your leadership. And the report outlines six things people want from work, no longer just employment and finances. Can you tell us more about this report and give us some new approaches being taken by employers, for example? Well, absolutely. And it goes back to your question of what are people saying in private? And the concept is that if you think of whole individuals and all of their needs, and attend to those in new ways, you're going to have your employees and your network do better, but you're going to have your business do better. We looked at this idea of can you leave people net better off by having them choose to associate with you? And to get right to the point, what we learned was pretty breakthrough. In the past, as leaders, we're often thinking about you know, financial, uh, are we giving them uh, the right remuneration for the roles that they're performing? employable? Are we given the right skills to do their job well and be productive? But the other four that have come in, and COVID has brought them into such stark relief, uh, is this whole idea of relational, the idea of a sense of belonging, inclusion, and having strong connected relationships, especially since many of us are now connected digitally. A physical connection, People want to be safe. They want to make sure that if they're required to perform their role or that they need to come back into um, workspaces, that their safety is top of mind. They want to have emotional and mental positive emotions, and they want to have mental wellness. So that feeling of isolation that's creeping in by living in digital all day, every day, and not having these normal connections needs to be attended to. But the really big one is the idea of purpose and purposeful. And this idea that, you know, I make a difference, that people recognize the difference I make and that my life has meaning and the work that I do is bigger than just uh, the employable or the financial. What we learned, 15,000 workers, 3,200 C-suite execs, is that 64% of a person's potential is explained by these six dimensions. And so we've been out with executives and leaders saying, in the past, you didn't always walk into those areas. You stopped at the door of, um, if I pay correctly and if I train people, that's good enough. 
but it's not anymore. And so we're helping people think with that whole brain leadership of what can I put in place? What do people need and how can they be more resilient? And so we found there's five C-suite practices that um, leaders can do out of 20. There were only five that were statistically significant and um, that's helping a lot. I wonder, Eva, if you could give an example of maybe a practice that can bring a company into this more whole person approach. Well, this is one you and I can totally relate to because, as you've mentioned, our passion for lifelong learning and skills through our past work with Skills for America's Future and Aspen Institute and Upskill America, that's the number one C-suite practice that can get people through this period. This idea of continuous learning and a future-ready workforce What do I mean by that? Um, It means that one's always looking ahead for the skills that you're going to need. Sometimes we call them hot skills. And a lot of companies now are trying to look at whether it's digital ready, future ready, uh, cross industry, and point people in the right direction to get the skills they need. In fact, I'll talk in a minute about we're doing a pretty innovative um, cross-organization global initiative called People Plus Work Connect. And as people von are affected in industries like hospitality and retail and what we call impacted tourism industries, others are surging, like essential retailers that have to get goods and services to homes, need more workers. Health needs more workers. And so a lot of us are playing these strategic partners roles saying, how can we find someone who has the core skill set? transfer them across industry, and then train them with a fast track so they can replant and meet these unmet needs. And um, so it's a great big social innovation going on with networks like you and I are involved in. Well, let's jump to that question. I mean, you have a, a novel new global platform for companies that are trying to match workers who are being dislocated to be able to find work in other areas and vice versa. It's so novel that corporations are taking on this responsibility. So can you talk more about People Plus Work Connect? Vaughn, thank you so much for asking. In late March, a number of chief HR officers got together across industry to talk about the crisis with um, our CEO, Julie Sweet. At the end of the call, one of the CHROs said she was going to be sending some people out who had recently come on board, and some of them were heading to shelters. And um, isn't there anything we could do to address the crisis of unemployment and need? Long story short, 14 days later, 14 business days later, four CHROs and um, an incredible connected community, we stood up a platform. Really simply, Vaughn, people who have jobs, load them up on the platform. People who have workforces impact, load them up on the platform. Uh, We're now in 95 countries. 257 organizations have signed up. There's over 400,000 roles loaded. 130,000 of those have workforce that's needed. And then uh, 270,000 have workforce available. A couple of examples of um, workforces on there, just to make it real, would be Marriott, you know, who in um, the hospitality industry has had tremendous impact and had to furlough workers. Another example would be our, we call them essential retailers like Walmart, who have been public about needing to hire over 500,000 people and they have exceeded that goal. And so you can imagine if you're in a city like Las Vegas and you have hospitality shutting down, 
But we found we had whole cadres of trained um, sanitation workers. Many of the supermarkets and any of the institutions that had to physically remain open didn't have those skills, didn't have those crews. So we started to see people switching over in places of need in large groups versus one at a time. So this is employer to employer, not one to one. In fact, it became so successful that um, it was adopted by uh, two of our countries in our Asia Pacific region as the country talent exchange, because you can see by zip or postal code, what are all my open roles? What are all the employers who are posted? And we're starting to do analytics about how agile these skill sets can be. If you're a marketing professional in consumer goods that's impacted, you might be able to be a marketing professional in a surging industry. Same for finance, same for engineering. And so we're really learning a lot about getting people back to work faster across the world. That's an amazing example of innovation. And the innovation is led by the human resources uh, leaders. It's an example of how HR is no longer a backseat role. As a matter of fact, in this moment of crisis, it's really, as you, you've talked about, it's a talent strategy that is um, going to shape our ability to bounce back. Now, you've been recognized as a national leader in shaping the future of HR. Do you think we should be positive or anxious about the relevance of humans in the future of work, Eva? If you think about the one constant, Von, the whole idea of human technology, artificial intelligence, especially at a time when everyone is facing this incredible biological challenge. Um, so I think we should be positive about humans. I think we should be unleashing and unlocking individual potential and think about the idea of how different it was the last time humanity faced this in 1918. And today we have tech to enable things like vaccine fast development. Look at the ability to do contact tracing and how tech enabled that can be. Look at what we're learning about all the different uh, biological information. And it's just a fascinating time to see if we can get the help that people need. But again, it's not one dimensional. It's not just biological. You know, I want to go back to something you and I talked about a minute ago, the idea of living a purpose-filled life. Back to old Maslow's hierarchy, you know, if you don't have your basics, right? And we talk about this in Elastic Digital, if you're, you don't have a place to live, you don't have food, and you don't have continued employment, maybe your value realization is focused on that. Having said that, once you get to those things, there's a lot of migration going on, Vaughn, where people are leaving urban areas to go to suburban areas. Some are leaving suburban areas to go to more rural areas. This workforce has changed forever. And so social innovation is not just the platform we created to connect people across industry geography. It's also about if you can work from anywhere, where do you want to be? Where do you want to raise your family? Where do you want to be connected from? And what needs do you have in that six dimensions? And then how do you get and keep the skills that you need to stay relevant and to stay ahead of any challenges that might come? So we're working hard to look at scenarios that say the one constant is human ingenuity. Change is a constant. And if we can create more resiliencies, resiliency as a human, as a family, and as a society, these will be the lessons born out of crisis that will be with us forever. I'm so glad you're at the helm of Accenture, helping our CEOs think about 
how to unlock human ingenuity. You are also so active on the social impact front, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Let's talk about something that you mentioned earlier, which is the mental health and well-being of employees. You know, we hear a lot about uh, the disruptions caused by COVID and its impact on employee mental health. I think many are worried about perhaps a, a, another wave, but this will be a mental health pandemic following the COVID pandemic. How should company leaders respond to these new stresses that their employees are facing? So a couple of things. You're absolutely right, Vaughn. And um, as you said, I, I have the privilege of being part of a lots of networks and all of them are signaling an increase. We can see it in claims, um, you know, for benefits going towards needs for mental wellness or mental illness and health. We also see it, though, in what we call uh, workforce sensing and stress points. It can be overlapping needs for schedule changes. It can be family support needs. So a group of leaders has banded together to come up with best practices in those six areas I mentioned. One of the ones I'm leaning in on heavily is with um, the founder of Thrive Global, Ariana Huffington, has developed a portfolio of resources and solutions from thriving minds to help for first responders. Um, and some of these are available at no cost, particularly the first responder a lot of them are based in great work with Stanford and this idea of micro steps about how to calm oneself with breathing, different ways to frame the stress, how to access additional resources. We're testing on ourselves at Accenture. We had 130,000 employees voluntarily elect to go through thriving minds in the first few months. So this idea that there's a whole toolkit that can help you, we're pursuing these types of approaches with other companies, saying it's not enough to just have an EAP or a hotline. Our services are completely overwhelmed. No one is more expert than you on this. There have to be community solutions. I'll give you one more, and then I want to ask you a question, if you don't mind. I recently had the privilege of listening in LinkedIn uh, Live to Rhonda Morris, who's the CHRO of Chevron, and she was on with Adam Grant, and she was talking about ERGs have formed uh, at Chevron under Chevron Cares, and they are often what we call need groups, parents with special children who don't have the school system full capability enabled, um, those who are now providing elder care in the home where that care provider may not have been as available in the relative's home due to COVID restrictions. These incredible innovations are coming and people are posting them and sharing them with each other. And we're capturing a lot of this through our partnership with Josh Burson and the Josh Burson Academy. So there's a big meta theme here that will be very familiar to you and I. These public-private partnerships with stakeholders who are literally leaning in to say, we have got to fix these issues. Everybody has to bring their best innovation. And um, from Thrive Global and their services for first responders to major corporations, 
the World Economic Forum is doing some very interesting work leaning in, as they always have. We're part of all those things. But let me stop for a second because um, I feel like I'm talking to the expert of the expert. And can I ask you a question? You know, we do hear so much about these disruptions and how they are having a major impact on mental health and employee mental health. Have you seen anything to deal with the crisis, whether it's a physical health, mental health, and bring new entrants to the workforce to address these challenges? The pandemic has actually caused us to even pivot as well, uh, even though we're brand new. The first pivot had to do with uh, telehealth. Since everyone became sheltered in place, healthcare shifted over to the virtual version and many community clinics, for example, needed to build those skill sets in order to deliver care sessions virtually or doing by virtual rooming. With regards to mental health, I wanted to announce that our board just approved a big investment in 2021 to develop a workforce that supports mental health needs of our communities, especially our underserved communities. We're going to focus on creating community health workers with a behavioral health emphasis. So in behavioral health, you know, stress and mental health issues can manifest in terms of uh, substance abuse and depression and many other symptoms and issues. And so we want to be there with a workforce that is grounded in the community, that is bilingual as well as culturally competent, ready to support the needs of patients as we see an increase in mental health issues. In addition, we're expecting that even existing healthcare uh, professionals, for example, medical assistants, licensed vocational or practical nurses who are already providing health care, they're going to need to add behavioral health skill sets to their existing toolkit. And so we want to get the curriculum, the coursework, to develop these skills out to the healthcare workforce in order to ready them to deal with the increase in issues brought about by this pandemic. So we're delighted that we're going to be able to work in this area and be, be of help. Yeah, it's funny, Vaughn, you mentioned boards, and it was um, wonderful that you did that. One of the things that we took a look at is um, not just leadership on this multi-stakeholder view that we're hearing so much about from the C-suite, but we're seeing the emergence of modern boards and we recently did some research on that and found out that modern boards have about five key characteristics and uh, they're emerging uh, with new forms of leadership, new forms of governance. And there's tremendous opportunity to outperform others in innovation and in business benefits in this multi-stakeholder assessment. So I'm glad you mentioned that. It sounds like uh, you're personally experiencing that as well. Imagine if um, another outcome of this difficult time we're in is that boards can see an evolution to the full power and impact they can have. We're going to see um, lots of new innovation unleashed. I wonder, Eva, if you could just mention what those five characteristics are. I'd be happy to. I'm going to keep it super simple with um, what we call it the five M's. It's mindset, mission, metrics, muscle, and makeup of the board. And just real quickly, uh, mindset is, uh, you said it so beautifully a minute ago, workforce topics at the boardroom is a top priority. And looking strategically with all of the C-suite, spending time with the CHRO, but holding the full C-suite accountable for workforce, that's mindset. Mission, responsiveness, 
Uh, many boards are now meeting much more regularly to these multiple pandemics. And um, the boards we surveyed, many of them and most of them held emergency meetings in response to uh, social unrest, the pandemic, and continue to do so. Metrics, brand new scorecards are emerging that are either predictive where you can begin to look at workforce stresses. Um, you and I chatted about the mental wellness, but not just lagging indicators, leading indicators that are starting to show signs of burnout. You know, people used to talk about productivity metrics. Now they're seeing people digitally connected 12 plus hours, not healthy. And so looking for areas where there might be a chance to use metrics, data, and artificial intelligence, find hotspots, address it, um, and have alternatives for more balanced workforce outcome. Muscle, um, the idea that you need leaders who are trained, who are skilled, and who are recognized to lead through these really difficult times and look at a holistic strategy. And then this won't be a surprise to you. Strong board diversity is uh, an aspect of a modern board. Boards with that strength of uh, varying viewpoints can often best serve patients, clients, customers. And we're finding, again, that they're outperforming. So this is not a nice to do. These five will deliver uh, increases in innovation at one and a half times. Wow, one and a half times. Yep. Thank you for continuing to push the envelope on this research. So if you could wrap up for us, Eva, with any additional historical perspective or any call to action on what we can do now. Well, I think today's call is a great example. This idea of um, partnerships across networks and ecosystems. I mentioned People Plus Work Connect and the four chief HR officers who still meet every Wednesday night, Vaughn, and take it to the next level. You know, our uh, association with organizations that are helping to skill people. Aspen Institute uh, has Upskill America, and I just talked to the team last week as part of the leadership circle. The work we see at the WEF, um, World Economic Forum, I don't know if you just saw, but a new recommendation on a metrics report came out with 21 factors on people, planet, prosperity, and principles of governance. This idea that all of us have ability to tap resources from around the world and to learn from each other, especially as some of us go through waves of uh, various challenges at different times and others may be able to give the team going through the next some advanced uh, information about coping. There's no question that out of this crisis, these levels of new networks, partnerships, multi-stakeholder and thinking about whole humans families, communities, and societies hopefully will be with us forever. And that um, most of the execs I'm talking to are talking about balanced scorecards that lead in new ways, solve problems in new ways, and we can't, none of us can do it alone. So that's my, my hope. Uh, I know we're heading into a really tough time, but look at the fact that you and I are connected 10 years later, and it was from uh, this multi-stakeholder coalition that we wouldn't have met but for that on um, Skills for America's Future. Now we're working on new skilling across the world, and it's really exciting because tech is bringing access to so many, not to everyone, that's a problem, but to so many um, to learn in brand new and different ways and stay relevant, stay employable, stay healthy. Those are the things I see in the future if I put a bit of a positive view on maybe a little bit further out than the months ahead. Well, Eva, certainly we are living 
these principles of collective action, of public-private partnerships, of new networks, as we're all navigating through these anxious, anxious times. I want to thank Eva Sage Gavin very much for being with us today. Vaughn, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Vaughn Tone Quinlevin with Futura Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm -hmm.